should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Our next guest is an American artist who uh, has photographed, or at least focused, the last 10 years on the LGBT rights movement. I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, some of his work has been featured in the New York Times Magazine, Time Magazine itself, Newsweek, The Advocate, and The New Yorker, and I'm sure so much more. Um, his first project where that has gained extreme attention has been Fearless, which was a project about out lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender athletes athletes who performed in high school and college sports teams. So let's welcome Jeff Shang to the program. Jeff, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, absolutely. We're excited. I love your work. Um, I, you know, let's, let's start with Fearless, just because that was also, you know, the, the project that a lot of people know about. And my first question is, you know, kind of when you started this project, how did you get in touch with some of these young kids who identified as LGBT athletes? Well, when I started Fearless, it was in 2003, about 12, 13 years ago. And so I was just out of college and about uh, the same age as many of the collegiate athletes that I was hoping to photograph. And so the first couple of athletes were really just uh, word of mouth. Um, you know, I'd ask friends and roommates. Um, I'd finished my undergrad degree in photography at Harvard in the Boston area. And so conveniently enough, uh, in New England, there were a lot of colleges. And I really just sort of um, you know, was emailing uh former roommates, um, they had friends who were on sports teams, and um, sort of locating maybe about a dozen people in that first year to, to travel around, um, mostly New England, but some photo shoots were done um, out of the area. And um, that's really how it started, and um, it was a really difficult process because, if you can imagine, in 2003, 2004, there were very few uh, people focusing on LGBT sports. And um, there weren't, you know, there weren't the same level of professional athletes who were out. Media wasn't really covering it at the same extent as they do now. So, um, and, and finding athletes, I and mean, there's so many more athletes today who are out. Um, so back then, it was much more difficult uh, to find athletes. Yeah, that was that's a great segue to my question because I was like, this is back in 2003, and it only has been in the last, uh, you know, two three years or so that we've seen an increase in interest. Of, of LGBT people in sports, but also LGBT athletes coming out. Now, this project had turned into a book, an actual photography book, in which there's an afterword uh, written by Jason Collins, who played, you know, for the NBA, who's now retired. Um, but, you know, I wonder if there's going to be an extension to the project just because more and more kids are coming out or feeling more comfortable with themselves. Yeah, well, in 2012, right around um, the 10-year anniversary of the project itself, I, I decided to work on a book 
I mean, we, we did a big Kickstarter drive and raised over $50,000 to sort of provide the seed money for the um, publishing of, of a book. And, you know, it took about three years to actually make uh, the book into a reality. Uh, oddly enough, it was during those three years that Jason Collins had come out. Um, so, you know, when I started the book project, it was sort of, I wasn't really quite sure who was going to write the afterword. And then, yeah. uh, amazingly enough, you know, he steps forward and, and makes that big announcement in Sports Illustrated. Um, and, you know, I approached him and he was really gracious about providing, um, you know, his, his perspective and also photographs from himself uh, in high school, actually, when he was playing basketball. And so, um, you know, these were all things that had sort of just come up, you know, and, and right now one of the big plans is you know, there are a lot more athletes who are out. Uh, I'm still photographing uh, the project. We're going to be releasing a sort of more online blog version of everything to be able to feature the stories of some of these new athletes. I'm actually going to revisit some of the former athletes from the book project mm-hmm. um, to kind of see where they are now in their lives. Um, many of them have gone on to really great careers and some are in LGBT activism today. Um, and so to be able to follow up on them in sort of a blog format, I think, will be the next step for how to kind of continue the project, but also keep, you know, the 200-some athletes who are in the book now, um, also refresh their data in some ways. That's great. Let's turn our attention to, uh, you know, a project that you did uh, for Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and now in a, a follow-up to that is before and after. Um, but, you know, we just talked about Don't Ask, Don't Tell yesterday and uh, kind of went through the impact of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So I wanted to get your thoughts when you did Don't Ask, Don't Tell and you took photographs of, um, you know, LG, or LGB service members before it was actually repealed. I, what do you think is the, the major difference? And I guess that's uh, that would answer the follow-up project in before and after. The interesting things was first I started Don't Ask, Don't Tell because it was really an ex- it was almost an extension of the Fearless Project because some of the athletes that I photographed um, had decided to go on into careers in the military um, and some of them had a closet themselves and, and so in 2008 and 2009 I began to think um, based on their kind of suggestion maybe I should be photographing something about the military and so these uh, photographs that I did you know six five six years ago with their faces not showing, a completely different project than the athletes one, you know, because in Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you have this sort of dark, um, kind of somber mood to a lot of the photographs. Mm-hmm. You don't see their faces, they're obscured in shadow. Um, and then now I'm actually revisiting many of these people who I photographed from before, um, the LGB service members. In the past two, three years, I've actually been also photographing transgender service members to add them to the former part of the project. Um, and then currently with the new rules to allow um, more open transgender service, hopefully in the next year or so, um, I've, I've gone back and sort of just revisited these, these people. And, and it's fascinating to take photographs of the same person about five years after another photograph was taken. But this time you can see their face. You can see who they are and, and they're looking at the camera. And, and it's really quite powerful, um, that before and after effect that I'm getting. Uh, in terms of the actual policy, I mean, it, it's really quite fascinating. I mean, some of the people that I've been interviewing, because um, I'm also conducting sort of research interviews of the service members now uh, for research, and it's uh, their experiences, uh, you know, that most of them are very positive about uh, some of the integration of sexual orientation into the military. 
Um, some of them still have negative experiences, but I think it's very similar to many organizations that we see today where sometimes uh, people come out and, and they're very accepted and sometimes they aren't. So um, that, I think having them be able to come out was a really important step in the first place. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of your work. I mean, it's um, it's so deep, you know, and then when you when you look at photographs, uh, sometimes you can you only really look at it for surface reasons, uh, but there's so many uh, emotions that I can pull just from one photograph <laughs> that you take. And so I wanted to ask, you know, kind of your thoughts like now that there's so much focus on uh, LGBT lives, especially in the media, um, you know, even news organizations, right? It seems like they're trying to include uh, an LGBT story. You've been doing this for the last. 10 years. So you've kind of seen it go from, you know, some probably almost no interest to incredible interest. Um, how does that shape, you know, your work today? Because I know that uh, you're also working on on another project in which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, I. It's weird. I mean, just to be really honest, I think that when I first started Fearless, you know, it was like pulling teeth to try to get anyone to sort of cover a small art project about LGBT athletes. And then suddenly, I think it was, it almost felt like a tidal wave. I, I was in the right place at the right time with the Don't Ask, Don't Tell project. I think the work was timely. There was a major shift in American sentiment between 2008 and 2009. And then I also think when the photographs for Don't Ask, Don't Tell really hit the media. And so this is where, you know, I, I was getting requests from every sort of major news organization almost every other week to run the photographs. Um, there was something about the photographs, too, because I think they were so anonymous that people could actually relate more with them in some ways. And I think because you could see somebody but not really see who they were, people began to realize that maybe somebody who is lesbian or gay or bisexual exists right next to me, and I don't know that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the images really, it, it all sort of coincided with a sort of massive uh, shift in sort of coverage um, by media. And, you know, in the effects of my own work, it's, you know, it's not, it, I, I'm obviously incredibly happy. Um, I, I've always considered myself an artist, first and foremost. And, um, you know, I make work that is both both personally very compelling uh, but also, like you said before, I want work that has a big emotional impact, um, stuff that makes you pause a little bit and think more about what you're seeing, because um, we get inundated with images so much now that, that it's important for me as an artist to do that. That is so, yeah, I, absolutely. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Jeff Shang, who's an artist and photographer. His work has been seen in the most major media outlets such as New York Times, Los Angeles Times, CNN, NPR, BBC, ABC, I, I mean, the list goes on. And we're talking about uh, some of his, of his past work and also now his future work. Uh, in the last 10 years, his work has been focused on the LGBTQ community, the movement. Um, Jeff, and I should have I should have asked you this in the beginning, but I didn't. But uh, why, why focus on the LGBT movement in the last 10 years of your work? That's a great question. I mean, I think most uh, artists that you would talk to shy away from being sort of politically themed. It just, I mean, it just happens to be that's what I'm most interested in. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I have an MFA and I studied studio art really since I taught photography for many years. 
at the university level, and I, I just find it to be the most inspiring work. Um, I, I think it, it gives me a sense sometimes of seeing the community that I'm a part of, which is important. You know, I think that um, especially when you're young, to be able to see a visual visualization of something that, that is um, different than maybe the kind of visualization that you normally get, um, that, that's kind of power that I, that I hope to kind of put out there. Um, so, I, you know, it's it's kind of like, well, why not? Sort of how I answer that question, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is um, it's such a basic answer to the question. At the same time, it's like, you know, we can look at it from an artistic uh, point of view, but the LGBT movement has been so political and these issues are so timely. Um, you know, I wonder if, if you ever get... I guess, uh, pulled into the politics of it as well, yourself, personally. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I've been, I've been uh, I do a lot of work in LGBT activism, especially around LGBT sports. Um, you know, the, the being able to, you know, for the Don't Ask, Don't Tell project, being able to speak with political congresspeople about the issue I was something that I learned, you know, it's not something you get trained in, in MFA program, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you correspond with a congressperson, you know, trying to write legislation, you know, these are all things that I've learned uh, quite intensely. Incidentally enough, I, you know, I actually went into a, a research, a PhD program at Stanford uh, a few years ago because I was so fascinated with a lot that I was seeing uh, that I wanted to think more about kind of the sociological issues about discrimination in organizations. Um, not just necessarily with sexual orientation, gender identity, but also with race and gender and class. And, and so, I, you know, these are things that I, I'm learning uh, quite a bit, actually, going back to school. Um, and, you know, I think the LGBT movement, you know, it's, it's, it's bundled in so many things. You know, I think that, um, you know, we as human beings um, should be just more aware of, of not just our place, whether we're you know, gay or straight or you know, whatever our race or ethnicity is, but really look broadly and see, you know, A, we're all human beings, but, you know, we live in this world that's so complex with different identities and how do we exist with these identities. And, and you know, as an artist, you do, you're a reflection of all that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of look around and, and try to find inspiration um, to, to bring photographs out there to the world that, that can maybe create a dialogue for people. That is, I mean, it's so beautifully said, and uh, this might seem like a weird question before we go on break, but do you see yourself in your in your work at all, like, you know, when you're taking these photographs and, uh, and you're thinking about, you know, the emotions that you want to invoke or you want people to feel, do you ever see yourself in the photograph itself? Wow, great question. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the way, I think what you're alluding to also is this idea of, an emotional toll. And yeah. I think that one of the unfortunate byproducts of my photography work on me as a person is that I've had to really learn how to detach myself uh, emotionally from a lot of the photo shoots for some, I mean, so if you, you know, I usually photograph the, uh, the person, there's not usually a lot of people around, you know, I try to photograph them kind of one-on-one, um, so that there is a connection between me and them. They're not distracted. But I also get to learn about their lives, and I also care about them. You know, they've, they've reached out to me to be represented in some way, and I, I care deeply then about making sure I do that right. But if you can imagine kind of hearing stories about discrimination, whether it's in sports or in the military, um, you you have to really be guarded in a way so you don't become so affected by... Um, 
the cruelty sometimes that is inflicted on them that, that you can't function. And I, I've had to learn that. I mean, I think it really hit me with the Don't Ask, Don't Tell series when I realized so many of the people had gone on to war. You know, people had seen friends die next to them and they couldn't be out for who they were. And I'm hearing them tell me this. And, you know, my, my heart is breaking, but at the same time, you, you can't constantly do this to yourself while you're a photographer because you, you're going to lose the ability to function. And so that, that, you know, if you want to ask if I see myself in them, I, I do. And in a sense, it's sort of like you just, you do your best to also leave yourself out of it, but, but do, you know, while you're still present in, in the shoot and in the moment and, and representing them. So. That's so, uh, it's so wonderful. It's so, it's so cool for me, you know, cause I'm not an artist in that way. And so to kind of get inside your mind, it's, uh, it's great. We're going to take a quick break, Jeff, but when we come back, I'd love to just follow up really quickly on some stuff that you're working on right now. So you'll stay with us. The Michelle Miao show yeah, continues right. right after this. Don't go away. listening to the progressive voices network streaming the best in progressive talk 24 7 keep the progressive conversation going on on facebook like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices on the progressive voices facebook page we update the stories that our hosts like tom hartman stephanie miller bill press and leslie marshall will be talking about during their shows and we share great news commentaries opinion pieces and videos from all over the progressive world always progressive always on be part of the progressive conversation like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. On the phone with us is Jeff Sheng. He's an American artist and photographer, also professor, I should say, and uh, has focused his work in the last 10 years, at least, on the LGBT rights movement. Um, Jeff, right before the break, I did mention that I wanted to touch base with you quickly on your most current work or something you're working on, which uh, is LGBT teen suicide series. Tell us more about that. Past few years, I've become really interested in starting a series on that, and then part of it is just you know outgrowth of the former work, where you know as I mentioned before, hearing sort of uh, traumatic previous live stories of some of the people I photograph, you know, some of them include um, 
suicide attempts. And, um, you know, what I've done, and I started this about a few years ago where I, I've been photographing young people, usually in their 20s, um, and I've done only about, you know, half a dozen shoots. So, so not a lot because it's sort of in the trial experimental phase of the project. But I've been um, meeting these young people in places of their childhood. And so these are all people who at some point earlier had attempted suicide. And I've... Um, ask them to take me back to a place that has some sort of emotional significance to them. Um, I don't really, you know, I'm not looking to, 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 to really directly connect it with the attempt itself, but really just to explore kind of childhood and memory and what it's like to visit a place that has um, maybe so much pain, but also recovery, you know, because many of these young people will talk about the recovery process. And then we do a photo shoot in that area together, and it's a, it's a kind of a creative portrait that we we collaborate on, and um, it's something that I've I've started, and um, I hope to continue once you know the fearless book wraps up a little bit more, um, and also uh, as I can continue more my work with the Don't Ask Don't Tell stuff that I'm able to find some time to be able to photograph the uh, the suicide series a little bit better. But that's that's the new work that I have, kind of you know on the table for the next few years. If Don't Ask, Don't Tell and uh, transgender service members and the before and after project and also, of course, the Fearless project wasn't emotional enough. I mean, the LGBT teen suicide series, just hearing you talk about the concept um, and how that may play out is making me tear up, bringing myself to places of pain and, and, and recovery. Uh, I don't know, you know, how that that you'll be able to... Um, I guess, separate yourself from that work? Are you already just immersed in it emotionally? Yeah, I think that the other stuff has really given me some really great kind of training and practice to still be able to be present with the person and for them to fully share about themselves, but also to at least keep myself um, distant enough so I don't get so immersed into it that I I lose my focus on... um, as a creative person and you know, it's, it's hard. I think that's part of the reason why I'm, it's exciting for me to finish fearless. It's exciting for me to go back and, and revisit Don't Ask, Don't Tell and photograph people now with their faces showing and to talk to them about their lives in the military. And it's, it's challenging to sort of go, this is sort of a next new body of work that I want to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a couple of, oh, it's a lot of people who reached out to me that I, you know, I've just been like, let's be patient while I figure out my own self to, to do it. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's a good next step. I think I'm. You know, it's it's not so much of an LGBT rights issue. But it's just an, it's more like an experience thing. You know, it's let me capture the experiences of, of the community in a way um, that I think are very important. Yeah, and you know, there's already other projects out there. As you say, for example, um, the It Gets Better project, which is a video project. But in your, you know, what you do. Uh, photography, you know, how do you think, um, how do you think it's different in, in that, sure, but both at the same time may give exposure to these issues that affect LGBT youths, but I don't know, I think that the silence of photographs kind of scream louder, if that <laughs> in itself is, an, is a confusing statement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we are a, inundated with so much visual imagery now, or multimedia imagery, and you know, I feel lucky I was trained as, a, as an artist, you know, in, in terms of thinking about 
the photograph and the image and the composition and the t- tone and mood of an image to be so important um, over anything else. Um, you know, sometimes people call my work maybe like a campaign, and I, I resist that slogan in some ways because it's, yes, my work has political um, leanings, but at the same time, you know, my work is inherently artistic, I hope. At least I hope people look at it and think that, you know, that an image comes out of hundreds sometimes that I've taken, you know, especially from the Don't Ask, Don't Tell series. You know, the image you see come from hundreds of photographs I've taken with that one person for almost an hour of different types of body gestures and lighting. And this is the one image we've chosen to, to show people, you know, and so there's a specialness to that image. Uh, and, and so really, you know, as, a, as an artist, that's, that's kind of something that you hope for that, that people see your image uh, as, as more of, of sort of, um, yes. And I, I, you know, I'm very committed to that. And I, you know, I feel like what you said before about the photograph being um, arresting. I think that's really true. I mean, I think it's important to always have things like video projects or vlogs mm-hmm. or people testimonial stories. You know, that's part of the dialogue as well. Um, but I also think artistically trying to create that thing that makes you stop and go, wow, that's beautiful or that's arresting or that's uh, powerful that, you know, that, that really hits at a sense of yourself that you haven't really tapped into before. You know, it really, that's what I try to do as a photographer and artist. So my next question as we're winding down on time is this is a big one. Um, when you're, you're dealing with an issue like suicide, it, in itself is already it's emotional it's uh to me an epidemic that affects the entire world and but especially lgbt teen suicide and we're still trying to figure that out as a community to to provide resources and support for our youths and in kind of overcoming um bullying and situations like that in the artistic world sometimes i think that it's almost easier to exist and you mentioned earlier that you know we all have these complex identities and you, i mean you yourself and I, I don't know all your identities but i could say artist um you know professor asian american and and so you know so many more identities so i kind of wanted to ask you when you're you know you think that uh, at the end of the series when you're doing a project like the LGBT teen suicide series, sometimes do you think that, you know, art is an easier, it's an easier space for us to exist and to overcome some of the tragedies of our lives and, and hard, you know, issues to confront like suicide? Oh, certainly. I mean, like if you just think about our art, art's place in our role as people and as a culture Art has always existed, you know. I think that, um, you know, that this idea that in all communities throughout the ages we've had this need to make beautiful and uh, and powerful things that we now call art, and I think a bigger reason is because you know it's a type of therapy, it's a type of emotional community healing, it's a type of way to start a dialogue that is uh, kind of sneaky in some ways because. You're not expecting it. You know, it's not like walking into a political debate. But when you see something that's sort of not usually what you see, and you're touched in a way that that you are now really feeling something in in ways that you've never felt before, uh, that's that's this, you know, that's art. And we've had that for, for 
you know, millennia. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I really think that that's something that I feel lucky to have, you know, have really found as a young person. You know, I myself, you know, just to give you some background, you know, I struggled with my own identity. You know, I struggled with suicide. I struggled with um, feeling, you know, having confidence and, you know, this kind of self-esteem uh, that, you know, you, you go through. And I think that for me, finding photography and finding a voice through making artistic objects was something so important for me. And I, I'm really honored to be able to now use it as a medium to get other people to sort of engage and think about the work. Thank you for that. Uh, that was so beautiful. It probably made my day, if not my entire month or year. A couple more questions for you, Jeff. Sure. Um, so we covered military. We covered you know LGBT youth or an issue that affects LGBT youths. Um, marriage equality, you know, obviously is huge in the LGBT movement. Will you cover that or anything else? Uh, or or what does the next ten years look like for Jeff Shang? Yeah, uh, marriage equality. That's a good question. Uh, you know, so I get I, I, people often throw suggestions to me about photo projects, you know, and I think that that's, I'm always open to them because I think it helps spur my creative senses. Um, and, and marriage equality was one that was thrown around a lot. Uh, I, you know, I know a lot of people in the marriage equality movement and, and, but I, at the same time, I, I didn't, I, there were people, there were photographers working on that already in terms of their projects. And that, I felt like that was, that wasn't something that I, I really wanted to, um, explore to in depth. Um, you know what's next? I mean, I see like the the suicide project taking a few years. Um, I'm also now writing a lot more academically about these issues. So, I, you know, as I mentioned before with the don't tell military stuff, I've been doing qualitative interviews about the experiences of many of these service members, and I'm hoping to write um, an academic book about the integration of sexual orientation and gender identity in the contemporary U.S. military. Um, and then just expanding it from there. I mean, I, I, I see myself as an artist, but I also see myself as just somebody who wants to learn from the world and share what I learned to everybody else. So whatever that whatever that gives me um, in the next decade, I, I'd feel blessed to be able to do it. Um, academia seems very helpful, you know. I think that eventually I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd always, I, I'm always housed in, in sort of an academic institution in some way. And I think a big reason is because my work... Um, has academic meaning and and really can um, provide a sort of uh, new type of visualization and and space to for people to think about um, academic issues. So these are a lot of the, the things that are going on, and and who knows what I mean? Maybe after the suicide series, I find something new. I've always thought about not doing a project on the LGBT community. Um, I may, I don't know. I, I think <laughs> for me, the the greatest joy. To, to be honest, I think the greatest joy for me would be being in an institution where I can work with a lot of young people who have the same drive that I did when I was a teenager, you know, yeah. and, and to use a type of art medium, say the camera or the internet or, you know, video or something. And, you know, if I if I can mentor and, and really bring up students who want to do what I did, but somewhere that that's important with them, something that's important to them, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the crisis in the Middle East and, and um, you know, whether it's, it's racial issues, um, whether it's income inequality, um, these things to me are, are so important as well, but 
I've never had the access or, uh, you know, the, the sort of time to be able to focus on that. And so if I, if I had students who could tackle one of these issues with the same kind of gusto that I did with the LGBT community, I'd be really happy, you know, really passing that legacy on. Jeff Shang, such a beautiful mind, an incredible artist. Uh, last question for you, Jeff. The Fearless Photo Book is out and available for purchase, right? Yeah, you can go to fearlessbookstore.com. Um, and so there's a link also on jeffshang.com, and you can probably find it through Google. Uh, we've just released it, and we, it's not yet on Amazon Prime. We're hoping to do it later. Um, for right now, I'm just directing people to that specific site to, to purchase it. And um, you know, it's all through the Internet right now. Um, I've got a show coming up in New York September 10th through the 20th uh, in Brooklyn as part of Photoville. So that's really exciting for those of you who are in the New York area. We've got book signings coming up all fall and all throughout 2016. Um, you know, follow me on social media at Jeff Shang at, at you know, all the social media sites. And so if you... You know, I, I think that if you want to connect with me and, and see the book and, and, and meet me, there's many ways, hopefully, in the next year to, to make that happen. Jeff, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your beautiful work and mind. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Michelle Miel Show continues right after this, so don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and, you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this little Friday. I'm so excited. I came into the studio with a uh, cap on backwards, trying to do the uh, Kristen Stewart thing. Right, Jax? (laughs) You look so hip. I'm so hip. And uh, with a free T-shirt that I got from Thailand. uh, I was wondering about that T-shirt you have on. Was it going to say anything? Uh, It's a picture of a man. Well, he's not just any man. Supposedly, he's like a rock star from Thailand. Uh, There's some Thai writing on the back. But I'm going kickboxing after doing this show. That's how I'm going to uh, start my weekend. Tomorrow, we will air John Zipper's uh, Commonwealth Club week-to-week political roundtable talk at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, so make sure you tune in for that. I think we're going to end the show and kind of kick off your weekend with our local television show. We're going to air our local television show. We just posted it up at michellemeow.com, so take a listen. We broadcasted the interview with Cleary Walters, but paired that up with a short interview with Laverne Cox. We caught up with her after the unveiling of her wax figure at Madame Tussauds here in San Francisco. So enjoy the program, and I will... I'll talk to you guys next week, Monday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. You can always reach me at michellemeow.com. So you probably have had about a month now to finish your marathon of watching the current season of Orange is the New Black. If you're like me, you're a super duper fan. Well, I don't know if you know, but there is a real Alex Vaz, and her name is Clary Walters. She's the author of Out of Orange, and it's her new memoir. So let's get to the interview with Clary Walters. Clary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you start your book out by basically this point of your life in which you realize that there's this huge series or this new show on Netflix that's talking about you and it's Orange is the New Black. Tell us what were your feelings the first time you realized that there was this new show, this popular show? The first time I realized that I had um, some changes coming in my life. I was sitting watching TV late at night with my mom um, and a commercial came on that looked to me like I wasn't really paying attention. It was like a soap commercial or a shampoo commercial. And then I heard this um, buzzer noise and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And I was like, oh, and and this like slamming door. And I think it's PTSD or something, but I recognized it instantly and looked up at the screen and started paying a little bit more attention to this shampoo commercial. And there, and it was Piper in prison, or Piper's, Piper Chapman. But it was instantly clear that this was um, not, it was no longer just going to be like a literary issue in a book that Netflix was an entity to um, be respected as much as TV. And then I saw Laura Prepon wearing my signature black glasses. and. I realized, oh, good, she's playing me. My life is absolutely about to change. I had no idea whether it was going to change for the good or for the, you know, for the bad. Um, I was still on paper at the time, which is, it's probation, basically. And so I couldn't have any communication with Piper or an indirect or direct communication with her. Um, so that probably accounts for my having had no uh, heads up that it was coming 
directly from Piper. Um, but basically it was a shock and the, the catch to it was, you know, it's novel. It's awesome to be portrayed by Laura Prepon, but when you are on probation and you're at a job that took you two years to secure because of a stupid felony conviction that you have to like check the box, mm-hmm. um, it was a little scary, you know, Yeah, having found a company that would let me get back into software, um, even with a felony conviction, I wasn't sure if having a infamous lesbian drug smuggler who has current or who's having sex in their living room <laughs> um, might not be a little bit a little bit more than their right red uh, appetites could take. So in your memoir, it, it was right around the time that you came back from your first successful drug run and you got your big paycheck. The first thing you wanted to do was buy a MacBook Pro because you wanted to become this writer. I think it's ironic that, you know, now there's this big franchise, Orange is the New Black, that's inspired by Piper Kerman's book. Uh, and uh, she kind of, you know, is, is the writer. I mean, how does, how does that make you feel? Well, Piper wrote a book about her life. And in all honesty, I barely graced the pages of her book as Nora Jansen. It was Jen G. Cohen's decision, I'm assuming, to, um, you know, pull Nora Jansen out of the pages and put her front and center as a pivotal role in the um, the, the plot of Orange is the New Black, the series. So as far as Piper's book goes, I was thrilled. I was really happy for her that she had done that. And the first time I knew about Piper's book. I was in the backyard gardening and my sister called me and told me to turn the radio on. And there was our ex co-defendant, my ex lover on fresh air talking about a book that she had just published. And we, I mean, that felt like almost as much my victory as it was hers. Certainly. I mean, it wasn't my victory, but, um, seeing one of us, one of the co-defendants finally making it to the light at the end of the tunnel, was um, was like uplifting, you know, okay, hmm. I'm gonna get there. It's gonna be a bit longer, but I am gonna get there. We have to take a quick, short break, but don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Cleary Walters, the real Alex Voss. Welcome back to the show. We have a special show for you. We're speaking with Cleary Walters, who is the real Alex Vaz. Yep, Cleary is my real name. I had nothing to do with the creation of the name Alex Vaz, though I think it's an awesome name. In Orange is the New Black, Alex Vaz is a drug smuggler. And, uh, you know, some parts are real, and obviously we know some parts are not real. But you as a drug smuggler, that is real in which you got involved because of your sister who is dating a Nigerian drug lord, Alaji. But let's tell your story. Why did you do it? Why did you get into drug smuggling? Um, it was a perfect storm. Um, first of all, I didn't know it was drugs. I thought it was diamonds that were being smuggled. And that to me just sounded James Bondy, Midnight Express kind of cool and didn't really register as seedy or dangerous. Um, But when I found out it was drugs, it was a little bit too late to turn around and start over. All right, let's fast forward to your relationship with Piper. So in Orange is the New Black, 
you and Piper are in jail together or incarcerated together, and it seems like there's a relationship, but what's the real deal? I mean, in the memoir, you talk about meeting her and she becomes your ex-lover, but not ex-partner. So I'm wondering, you know, do you feel as if that was true love or is there any unfinished business between you two? Um, we were, she was my cat sitter and my cat, like my cats both liked her and my cats didn't like a lot of people. So that made me like her. Um, we became really close friends and I asked her to travel to Indonesia with me on one of my trips because I was going to have to travel um, on my own. And I'm, I didn't want to travel all by myself to Indonesia. So <laughs> she came with me. We got stuck there for in Bali and paradise for I think like five weeks or something. Long enough for me to develop a healthy crush, which uh, when I went back to Brussels with her, um, after she had transported some money from Chicago to the to Brussels, we ended up having an affair, which um, I actually thought was potentially true love, mm -hmm. and we ended up getting a apartment together in San Francisco. We got the apartment together in San Francisco as friends and roommates. Um, but in Brussels, the apartment um, sort of turned into, you know, okay, that's going to be our home, honey bunch. Um, <laughs> but then she decided she wanted to, you know, I asked her to carry a bag of one of the stuffed heroin laden bags back to the US and she did not take kindly to that. I mean it wasn't as it wasn't as depicted in Orange is the New Black, the series. Um, it was a little more complicated than that. And that's I think that's I I've covered that in the book. Mm -hmm. Extensively. Yeah. yeah. Um so she left me in Brussels with the um, understanding that I would be joining her in San Francisco as soon as I could um, extricate myself from this seedy world and awful circumstances that she no longer wanted to have any part of. And so we left it pretty much as see you, see you when you get home. Unfortunately, I never did get home. Next time I saw her was 12 years later on um, at the federal transfer. Right, right. There is no unfinished romantic business between Piper, Herman, and I. We are good friends. Um, we've made it through a horrifying tragedy that took 20 years to finally unravel. Um, it was an emotional reunion. We cried. We basically told each other what millions of things had occurred since last we had the luxury of sitting down and actually communicating with each other, with exception of our brief encounter in the Chicago MCCC. Um, and we were at the other, now we were both in the light at the end of the tunnel and it was wonderful. We had breakfast. Ironically, we met at a um, hotel restaurant at the Cincinnati airport. I have an important question for you. 
Obviously, what we see in orange is the new black as far as the experiences of women who are incarcerated. You know, it's very different from the real deal, isn't it? What are your thoughts? No. I mean, unless Dan Barry's got something going on that I missed out on, um, no, that's not the way it is. And, and I think it's bordering on socially irresponsible to portray it that way. It's, you know, I had a young woman actually write me on Facebook um, talking about her, her decision-making process on whether or not she was going to break the law. And I'm like, oh my, are you kidding me? And I had to write her back, like, this is not the way it is. This is, you're going to ruin your life. You want to be humiliated and made to feel like um, the dirt, the crud on somebody's shoe is more important than you then go for it. But if you're off to look for an orange is the new black experience, they don't exist. So Cleary, my last question for you after reading your memoir is, you know, what kind of words of wisdom or motivation can you give us, those of us who have made mistakes? Um, yeah, I'd like to know your thoughts because I feel like you're an inspiration for some of us who have made mistakes but who can overcome them since you've accepted the mistakes that you've, you've made you've done your time and you've turned your life around. You're now this tech executive and doing, you know, you're doing well. I do. Whatever it is you're contemplating, don't do it. <laughs> Unless it's constructive and positive and not against the law. Um, you know, the laws, you may not agree with the laws and they change and they shift on a regular basis. Just make sure you're not breaking the ones that exist when you're breaking them. And don't kid yourself, it's not worth it. Pay attention to every little decision you make because little decisions are the ones that get you. They mm -hmm. add up to, boom, you're on a slide and you can't change anything. Thank you, Cleary. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your true story. If you can, grab a copy of Cleary's memoir, Out of Orange. When we come back, we continue our conversation about Orange is the New Black with one of their superstars. You don't want to miss it, so come back. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org.
download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. Welcome back. During Pride, it was the time of my life. This was the highlight of my Pride. I got a few minutes to check in with Laverne Cox during the unveiling of her wax figure. So let's check out the interview with Laverne Cox. Laverne, we just saw your wax figure unveil. Did the figure come out the way you wanted it to? I honestly, to be perfectly honest, I can't even really process it. I think I just need to be in the truth of this being very overwhelming and beautifully bizarre and amazing. And I'm just, I can't really fully take it in. I've had a few of those moments in my career. This, was, this definitely is one of them. It's just overwhelming. There was a huge landmark decision today. The Supreme Court ruled on behalf of the LGBTQ community. Now there's marriage equality in all 50 states. What are your feelings about that? Oh. I, you know, I just, I've been thinking a lot about love. This, the moment I heard, I heard about the decision this morning, I couldn't help but think about love and what romantic love from, has meant for me as a trans woman of color and how so often the messages I've gotten from, from my romantic partners is that I only deserve to be sexually objectified in private and not loved out in the open. And this is the experience of so many trans women I know who, who date um, men, and on, these are straight identified men, we should, we should, we should note. I, I made a statement recently that often the men who are attracted to and date trans women are often more stigmatized than us. And I think what I really meant is that so often the stigma that trans women experience is so deep and so profound that, that these men have been um, afraid to lose their own positions of privilege and power, that they um, will not stand with us in, in this fight, in this struggle. And we need everyone who, who says that they, they, they love trans people to, to stand with us for equity and equality. So when I, when I think about that, I think of, and I, 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 love, I love love, and I, and I love what Cornel West says about that, that justice is what love looks like in public. I quote that a lot, but I love that. It's like, how do we have love out in public for everybody? And how is that reflected in our public policy and the ways in which we treat each other? Um, so I think you've been thinking a lot about love on this day. So earlier today, during the unveiling here at Madame Tussauds, you talked a lot about love. You obviously have the unconditional love of your moms, who's here with you today. Tell us how your mom's love has contributed to your success. I'm here because my because of my mother's love. I'm only I'm only here because of my mother's love because she has um, sa- sacrificed everything for me to get an education, for me to pursue my dreams. Her emphasizing education was extremely important um, for, for for where I am today and, and the, the ways in which I'm able to sit before you. Um, my mother is everything, and I, I, I honor her, and I celebrate her every day. What I also loved about your speech today during the unveiling 
is that you mentioned that there are so many other transgender activists who deserve some recognition. Would you like to give a shout out to any of the transgender activists here? There's so many amazing trans folks here. The whole community of, of, of San Francisco trans community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's so many of you. I should say Ms. Major though. Um, I, mean, I think everybody, hopefully, you'll know it's okay I'm to say one name, and that's Miss Major. I love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you, Laverne Cox, for stopping by, and thank you to Madame Tussauds for having her. If you'd like to see some photos of Laverne Cox, you can head to my Facebook or Twitter and all that good stuff. Head to michellemeow.com and check it all out. When we come back, we're out on the streets. Don't go away. Welcome back. Now that we have marriage equality in all 50 states, there are businesses out there who are threatening that they would refuse service to someone based off of their religious beliefs. So we go out in the streets and we ask you, do you think that this is okay? No, I don't think it's right to refuse people's services because of religious beliefs, because it just takes away too many other people's rights away. I believe it's bad in general to, you know, make judgments on people regardless, regardless if it's, it's religion or beliefs, uh, sexual orientation or just whatever somebody says. They're private uh, opinions and when they are going to a restaurant it shouldn't be um, um, like an excuse not to serve them. The same thing with abortion too, religious beliefs. Uh, People using that for against the abortion, not letting women decide on their own about abortion. So I think the religious stuff shouldn't be used uh, for stuff that is basically a human right and people's own choice and stuff. So that's what I think about that whole issue. I think businesses should serve everybody, basically. I don't think it's good to discriminate. Um, I think we should be allowed to live our lives and live in this world and society should be open to all of us, regardless of our lifestyle choices or our religion. Thanks everyone for participating with us. If you have a question that you'd like for us to ask next time we're out on the streets, head to michellemeow.com and let us know. When we come back, final thoughts. Don't go away. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight on this special episode of Swirl. We had a great time talking to Clary Walters, who is the author of her new memoir, Out of Orange. Make sure you pick up a copy if you can. Also, thanks to Laverne Cox, who joined us for a few minutes while she did her unveiling of her wax figure at Madame Tussauds. If you have a chance, head to Fisherman's Wharf and check it out. She's gorgeous in wax figure too. <laughs> Marriage equality is here in all 50 states. Equality is awesome, but we don't have full equality unless our entire community has equality too. So while we ride this momentum, while we congra congratulate each other, we must recognize that there is still more work to do. Like I always say here on the show, hate is never the answer, love is. So until next time, my friends, or I should say until next month, the fourth Sunday of the month at 9.30 in the evening after ABC7 News, we'll see you later. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.
Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network. Tune into The Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.